0: all right welcome to sidebar my name is john duran here on out now 97.1 hd2 and radio.com thank you to the lovely adele for singing me in i hate to admit it but adele once performed at christopher street west the annual gay pride festival here in los angeles and before she was a named act and people said hey you want to go hear this new artist adele and i said who's adele and i said no what a loser I was, a complete loser. I want to welcome you all to my very first show. We're here broadcasting from uh, Wilshire Boulevard in the City of Angels, and um, this is my show, Sidebar. Uh, I'm an attorney. I'm, a, I'm the mayor of the city of West Hollywood, and I've been doing LGBT activism for, geez, about 35 years, a very long time. So I've watched the long road we've all been on, and for all of those reasons, they'd asked if I'd like to do a show. And be a show that would focus on the LGBT community and our straight allies and covering politics and culture and law and health and something I just call potpourri. That means anything else I want to talk about. So welcome to our very first show. We're going to have a really exciting day today. We're going to talk a bit about uh, Judge Kavanaugh and Professor Ford and what's going on in the country right now. We're going to meet the incredible Diane Abbott. Okay, all confessions here. She's my bestie. I was her law clerk. In the early 80s, she was my mentor, my inspiration. She is the godmother of LGBT Southern California and just a fountain of information. So I booked two segments with her because she'll be a recurring character on the show. She's got so much history and so much knowledge about our community and where we've come from and even more importantly, where we're going. And then later, we'll be talking about the city of West Hollywood's getting to zero AIDS cases initiative, something that I initiated with my colleague, Mayor Pro Tem John Demico. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the religious right because they've got their values conference going on today. Values just makes me snicker whenever I say religious right and values. But more about that later. And then I want to talk a little bit about the evolution of the cannabis culture. Something I've been very involved in since the early days of the AIDS epidemic, and to see where we've gone from and come to is just amazing to me. And that should be pretty much our very first show. So all right, a little bit about me because they said you got it. Not everybody knows who you are, John, or where you came from, what you're done. I'm native Angelino, lower middle class Latino family, East L.A., the only one living west of La Brea. Why? Because I'm gay. All right? So I picked up, I left East L.A., and I moved west of La Brea. Um, I went to Catholic school for 12 years. That explains a whole lot. More about that on another session. But, uh, you know, I, and I was tortured uh, because I thought I was damned for all time and going to hell because I was a homosexual deep in my thoughts and in my head and at age 18 I said, I've got to go somewhere where the kids are clean and all American and all American values and I applied and got a job at Disneyland not realizing I had just thrown myself into the hotbed of homosexuality here in Southern California within three months I was dating Peter Pan. This is a true story I was dating Peter Pan at age 18, and I was a skipper on the Jungle Cruise ride in Adventureland telling those god-awful, corny jokes going round and round the river uh, in Adventureland. And that's when I got my first taste of the inequities that exist for LGBT people. Now. no. People listening, you got to realize this is the 70s, right? This is the 70s. Homosexuality was actually criminalized in California up until 1975. That meant that routinely the Los Angeles Police Department would raid our bars and raid our nightclubs and arrest anybody inside for quote unquote lewd conduct. And what was lewd conduct? Kissing your partner, lewd conduct. Holding your partner's hand, lewd conduct. Same-sex dancing, holding your partner slow, s- lewd conduct. And that was the state of affairs here in the city of Angels. So we have gone from the criminalization of homosexuality in 1975 to where we are now. It has been quite a journey. And I got to tell you, Los Angeles gets short shrift. We really get short shrift. Everybody knows about the Stonewall riots in New York City. At Stonewall End. Well, guess what? We have riots here in Los Angeles long before Stonewall at the Black Cat, and we had the same problems they did back there by having the police uh, beating up our LGBT people in our bars. But that never seems to make the news, right? Or everybody thinks San Francisco and Harvey Milk. Well, poor Harvey got assassinated. Diane actually knew Harvey. She's going to be my guest later today. But, uh, you know, everybody thinks about that. And then we've got someone like John Heilman. Harvey Milk was in office for 18 months. John Heilman has been in office in West Hollywood for 34 years. So, I mean, how can you compare the two. The point is New York and San Francisco get all the chills and thrills. Los Angeles gets overlooked like a bad stepchild and it's time that LA took its place in the movement and the movement's history and I am just old enough to make sure that that happens. Too. Why? Because I saw it and I was there and been working it. Uh, I, I am uh, 58 years old, 48 on grinder, but wow. 58 in real life and uh, that has given me the opportunity to watch the evolution of the LGBT community from my early days in high school all the way to where I am now. I have been the mayor uh, of the city of West Hollywood. This is my fourth time around, but I've been elected since 2001. That means I've been on the city council now for 18 years, so I've watched West Hollywood grow up, and that has been extraordinary, and have co-founded many LGBT organizations. You may have heard of some of them. Angle, Access Now for Gay and Lesbian Equality. I was a co-founder, along with my buddy Diane, who'll be joining in a second. Equality California is an organization that I created. The Life AIDS Lobby during the 1980s, uh, I was legal counsel to ACT UP here in Southern California during the 1980s. I was legal counsel to Clean Needles Now, which was the very first needle exchange here in Southern California, and legal counsel to the Los Angeles Cannabis Resource Center. That was the first medicinal marijuana facility here in Los Angeles. It was the only one back in the 90s, and it was quite extraordinary, the work we did there. So what am I telling you? I've been busy. I've been a very busy boy for a very long period of time doing LGBT issues and causes, and you know what? It has given me a a life that I could not have imagined as that little 18-year-old kid praying to God to please remove the gay. I am so glad God did not do that and instead set me on a course to be part of one of the greatest civil rights movement in the history of the nation, because if you would have given us odds, we were destined for failure, right? You look at us, ragtag group of LGBT people, queer people, people, binary, gender identity, all the issues that we had to deal with, and to think that we would go from being criminalized in 1975 to wedding cakes in 2015, my God, what a course we have all been on. And it has been great to be an eyewitness to that, not only an eyewitness to all of that, but an active participant in making sure it happened. So I still practice law today, been a lawyer for 30 years, still on the City Council of West Hollywood, been doing that, like I said, for almost 20 years, and a wonderful second tenor in the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles. If I get in the mood, I may even sing on this microphone. So uh, we'll see, we'll see how the day goes. But really excited about my friend Diane Abbott joining us very soon. A little bit about her, I'm gonna tell you about before she gets here cuz I'll, you know, I'll likely embarrass her when she gets here. But Diane was a San Fernando Valley housewife living with her two sons in the San Fernando Valley started talking to the woman next door over the fence and lo and behold the two of them fell in love, left their husbands and created a new family and Diane was one of these lesbians that said, "Where's the activism? What's going on?" and she wanted to be involved and she was one of those glass Ceiling Breakers, the first woman to be on so many numerous boards of organizations. She was the founding co-chair of AIDS Project Los Angeles in the early days of the epidemic. The first woman to serve on the MECLA board, Municipal Elections Committee of Los Angeles. That was the very first gay uh, LGBT political action committee, not only in California, but in the world. And it started here in Los Angeles in the 1970s when our people started to organize politically and collect money to give money to politicians to make sure that things happened and the wheels turned. And Diane was the very first woman to do that. She also helped create the Victory Fund, which went on to elect LGBT candidates around the country and was one of the co-founders of HRC, which used to be HRCF, the Human Rights Campaign Fund, taking the model of MECLA from here in Los Angeles and putting it in Washington, D.C., to give us, I think, one of the more powerful organizations that we have here in the country, uh, the Human Rights Campaign. So Diane, when she gets here, she is gonna just be a fountain of information, and I think you're all gonna enjoy loving and, and hearing her talk. So what else can I tell you? Well, you're gonna think it's ironic, But uh, all this work that I've been doing on clean needles now, which is, of course, uh, passing out clean needles to uh, drug addicts uh, and uh, removing their dirty needles to prevent the spread of HIV, and and all of this work around medicinal marijuana. I'm also a member of the recovery community. What does that mean? That means for 22 years I haven't had a drink or a drug, although most people think that I act high or stoned most of the time. It's actually just me. This is how I'm wired. A little hyper, a little on edge all the time. A little frenetic, uh, but uh, thank God these are the God-given qualities that have allowed me to do the LGBT work, I think, in the courts and in the legislature and in politics for all these years. And it has been quite a road. But I'm all about recovery, too. And uh, not today, but on a future show, we'll be doing some work around that. Why? Because alcoholism and drug addiction seems to negatively impact our LGBT community in numbers that are not Uh, well a lot more severe than in other communities, minority communities. So we're going to be talking about that as well at some point. So I am down to my last one minute before we play the next song but I want to welcome you to Sidebar. When you go Sidebar in a court that means you're going to have a private discussion. This is going to be a very public discussion online and on HD2 radio uh, and I look forward to having discussions with you for many many weeks to come every Friday from 12 until 2 here on Sidebar with John Duran on Out Now 97 Seven point one HD tube at radio dot com. So
1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
0: Welcome back to Sidebar with John Duran on Up now Radio 97.1, H2, and Radio.com. I want to welcome you back to the second segment of our show. That was The Incredible King Princess Lesbian group from New York City and the song 1950. I love the name King Princess. If it was my band, it would have been Queen or Princess or Queen Princess. But it was great having her sing us in and out of our last break. And I want to welcome you back to the second segment of our show. And all right, so. My friend Diane Abbott just walked in the room. You're not going to hear from her yet. She's not mic'd up. But now I feel like I have a supervisor sitting here looking at me and watching what we're doing. But she and I were talking on the phone this morning about what is going on in Washington, D.C., right now with Judge Kavanaugh and Professor Ford. And, of course, I'm old enough, and Diane's old enough, and I'm sure some of you are old enough to remember Anita Hill and what happened to Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas the last time we walked down this road uh, back in 1991. And the um, things that are similar and things that are different. So let me tell you, back with Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas thing that uh, I most remember about that, Grassley was there, Senator Grassley from Iowa was there, Orrin Hatch from Utah was there, thank God he's retiring, that old, I'm not even gonna say it, but that old Utah guy, and uh, has been a thorn in our side for decades. Uh, But uh, thank goodness uh, that today, What's different is we actually have women on the Senate Judiciary Committee, unlike uh, back then during the Anita Hill hearings when it was all old white guys uh, questioning uh, young Anita Hill about what happened with her and Clarence Thomas. And thank God the Senate minority leader today is our own Senator Dianne Feinstein of California, and, of course, our Kamala Harris, also sitting on the Senate Judiciary Committee. And to have women uh, present on the committee makes sure that what happened last time around Anita Hill is not going to be repeated again. We're actually going to have some women's voices there to make sure that the questions are shaped properly, asked properly, and that a woman's point of view is uh, not only coaxed uh, out of Professor Ford, but that her words are respected, and she's given her due. Well, if you hadn't heard, she has agreed to come forward, but not on their timeline. I mean, this has been an incredible week. Senator Grassley, so Professor Ford's uh, letter to Senator Feinstein comes out, and what do they do? All right, she's got to come on Monday, and and she's got to have, we need to see a copy of her written statement by 10 a.m. on Friday. Now, just think about this for a second. This is a traumatic event that happened 30 years ago to a very young woman who in essence was raped and sexually assaulted. Raped and sexually assaulted. And the way and the sensitive and the delicate way that's going to be handled is you've got till 10 a.m. on Friday to give us your written statement so we can peruse it over the weekend before we decide how to attack you. On Monday, it is basically what the hidden communication was there. And I have got to give it to Professor Ford and her attorney uh, or team of attorneys who said, "No, no, 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 boys, we're we're not going to play your way. Here's how we're going to do it. First of all, she needs to make sure she's secured and she's safe because ever since this story broke, uh, she has been th- threatened, uh, her family has been threatened. This was the thing that she feared. This is why she told her Congresswoman, Anna Eshoo, I, I want privacy, I want confidentiality, I'm not sure I want to put myself and my family through this sort of scrutiny, and, and let's face it, the, the right-wing goons that Trumpism inspires uh, are very threatening to so many of us, and it's turning out to be exactly what she feared, and now they're threatening her and her family, and, and, and to then tell her, you've got to have this all together within five days, or, or we're just not going to hear from you. Come on guys Orrin Hatch, Mormon Utah, come on Is that decent and the civilized way to treat a woman who was raped and sexually assaulted? You know, if you hear what she has said thus far, uh, and if it's true, which we don't know, but I think it's probably true. I can't imagine any reason she would make this up. Judge Kavanaugh as a young man with a friend, Mark Judge, were intoxicated and drunk, threw her down on a bed, began to grope and sexually assault her, and then uh, Kavanaugh covered her Mouth to prevent her from screaming. Okay, that's not sexual harassment. That is a crime. That is a felony. That is sexual assault. That is rape. That is something that we need to hear about before we give somebody a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court of the United States. It should be something that would be carefully scrutinized. And that's why Professor Ford said, let's give it to the FBI to investigate. And what do Orrin Hatch and Charles Grassley say? Oh, well, you know, they don't do investigations. Come on, guys. F-B-I, Federal Bureau of investigations that is exactly what they do that is exactly what they did during the Anita Hill episode many years ago currently there are numerous judges for federal appointments on both the district and appellate courts that the FBI is doing investigations into that is why you've got the FBI there what what are the, what, what police agency are you gonna pull in to do the investigation the District of Columbia Police uh, the Los Angeles Police Department no with a nomination to the United States Supreme Court. It is the FBI that is charged with the responsibility to do these investigations. They need time to prepare. They would have to interview witnesses. And I love this guy, Mark Judge, who supposedly uh, was with Kavanaugh that night. And and by the way, there's incredible recordings of Kavanaugh saying, ho, 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 what happens here in Georgetown stays in Georgetown. Yeah, that's what we want to know. Judge Kavanaugh, what you were doing as a young man back in your college and law school days, because if so, it would be consistent with the allegations that Professor Ford is now making and thus more believable. The FBI needs to interview people, including Mark Judge. Now, Mark Judge is fascinating. He has gone from A, it never happened, to B, I don't recall if it happened, to C, please don't subpoena me. So that is suspect. And, and, and Mark Judge should be subpoenaed and required to testify before uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee so they can hear a full and thorough presentation of what happened 30 years ago. I am sure professor for Professor Ford, this is something she hasn't forgotten. It was traumatic at the time. It was psychologically damning. It was something that she didn't tell people. Well, no kidding, most rape victims and victims of sexual assault, it's not something that's shared broadly with anybody, uh, including, uh, I mean, issues around molestation uh, or, or people in very young years being sexually assaulted. It's not something that is shared. Just like I told you at the beginning of the show, I didn't want to share my being gay with many people while I was a teenager. This is something that she probably would not have shared with friends in the mind of a teenage girl. So, Come on, guys, let's respect the process. But you know what it is? Here's what it is. The reason they want to jam this through, it is a raw exercise of power. They control the Senate. They control the White House. They control the Congress. They being the Republican Party. And they know if they can get this fifth vote on the U.S. Supreme Court, that they stand a pretty good chance of overturning Roe versus Wade, overturning our marriage equality cases, forever shackling the equality of women and LGBT people. And they know that they can jam this through, and they also know this is all under threat with the upcoming midterm elections come the first Tuesday in November when the Congress could shift to the hands of the Democrats. And that turtle, you know who I'm talking about, McConnell in Kentucky, my God, he sounds like a turtle, he looks like a turtle, he is the one that wouldn't let Merrick Garland have a hearing when President Obama put him forward saying, we can't get that close to an election, we need to have the American people weigh in. The election was a year away. Meanwhile, here we are, five weeks away from an election, and the same logic does not seem to apply. It's all politics. It's all a raw exercise of power, and that's why they're willing to jam this through to get their right-wing agenda set for the next 30 years. And that, my friends, is a threat to you and to me and to everything that we care about. So you know what? Professor Ford, bring it. Bring it next week. Tell the truth, and Senator Collins in Maine and Senator Murkowski in Alaska, if you really are pro-choice Republican women, what the heck are you doing even considering this guy who's not only anti-choice, but seems to think little about sexual assault or the rape of a woman or not wanting to, one, talk about it, or two, lie about it? And is that the kind of individual we want to serve for a lifetime on the United States Supreme Court? I think not. Wow. I wasn't sure I could actually go for a full twelve minutes on that, but I guess I just did. <laughs> and uh, this is uh, this is worse than Anita Hill. This is something really awful that's happening, and it's happening live, and we're all going to watch it in real time next week. And I'm sure we're all going to be watching the testimony of Professor Christine Blasey Ford. Bring it, girl. We got your back. We're time. We're getting ready to head to a break. This is Sidebar with John Duran on Out Now ninety seven point one HD. Radio and radio.com. See.
1: Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing. However, you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business.
0: Welcome back to Sidebar with John Duran on Out Now, Radio 97.1 HD2 and Radio.com. And as I told you at the beginning of the show, I'm very excited because my very first guest is the incredible attorney, activist, mom, grandma... Uh, sorry, guy. That's okay. Uh, Di- the wonderful Diane Abbott. I was Diane's law clerk in the 1980s, and she is my political mentor, taught me everything I know. She won't claim the bad stuff, but only the good stuff. But she has long been told as the godmother of LGBT Los Angeles. And thank you, Diane, for coming on, being the first guest.
2: My pleasure.
0: All right. So I told them a little bit about you before you got here the San Fernando Valley housewife looking over the fence, finding a woman, leaving. Leaving your husband taking the kids and walking into 1970s Los Angeles and saying what can I do a little bit about that
2: well actually it was saying where do I go because I didn't know any other lesbians and I didn't know any gay people actually you know we think back today is so amazing we have So many wonderful rights, especially here in California. But if you look back to the 70s, I was a lesbian mother. No lesbian mother was able to keep her children. Right. I faced some really difficult times, but I ended up, fortunately, keeping my children and changing my name.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You you picked the name Abbott. Uh, and, and now, 1970s Los Angeles, How I mean, today we're here on out radio, right? And today the the kids, we shouldn't call them kids, but even me, I, we're on our iPhones, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Snapchat, we're, we're communicating this way. How did LGBT people communicate with one another back then?
2: It's very difficult. So, as I learned over the first few years, there were simply what we considered pockets of gay people. Uh, The first group of women I met, they had a group of friends, and they had been friends for many years, and there were probably 10 or 12, and they met once a week, usually on Saturday night, and had a little saran, and they... Someone sang. This is not what
0: gay boys did Saturday night, by the way. I know uh, that yet. now. Okay.
2: Yes, I realize that. <laughs> okay. um, but they did that. And are they, someone read poetry or they wrote poetry. And of course, everybody in this little group had been everybody else's partner.
0: Wow. A nest of lesbians. A nest I of lesbians.
2: You know what they say. Yeah.
0: Yes. yeah wow. One
2: day. Back up the (laughs) (laughs) U-Haul.
0: Was the Lesbian News around then? Was Jink Spears uh, publishing Lesbian News? This is before Lesbian News. Before
2: Lesbian News, there was really almost nothing available then. Um, So my first group of people that I met was a group of women um, who were radical lesbians and the Ocean Park Church. Wow. My only problem was they believed that we shouldn't keep our boys. Hmm. It was like drowning kittens. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so if you birthed her, you had two boys. I had two you boys. Had David and I realized
2: Dan. not yeah. the right people for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't giving them up.
0: Okay, that's taking lesbian separatism to the extreme. <laughs> to, the extreme. to the extreme. But that right. is in fact the dynamic. Gay boys were in studio on, wanted no women, girls out, no girls, and lesbians were very much doing their own thing with the ERA and other things, right? Yes. How did you find MECLA? So MECLA, okay. I told our reader, our listeners before you came on, MECLA was the very first LGBT political action committee in the country.
2: Yep. It was, yep. absolutely. Actually, I heard you say that, and it, it, you're right, it was in the world. Right. Okay, so I had been very active in NOW and co-started National a Organization for Women. National yeah. Organization for Women, which yep. was fighting very hard for the ERA. Yep. And actually, they had- um, disposed of lesbians who were in the top echelon of now. Yeah, Um, but LA Now, we started the first Lesbian and Sexuality Task Force. And it was at the time when the the decriminalization of...
0: Homosexuality, 1975,
2: right? 1975. And so got involved in that, had LA Now write letters And in actuality, we passed consensual adult law um, by one vote. Wow! The Secretary of State came back and he voted. Hmm. Um, So it was an interesting time. And I had some great mentors, and they said, you know, there's this reception going to be happening for um, a man named David Mixner.
0: (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean to giggle, but we both know (laughs) David too well.
2: (laughs) And so uh, they said, we're looking for some women to go, would you go? I went and I did meet David Mixner, who was at that time actually not in Los Angeles. And um, I met a whole group of men. And three of those men were part of a group that was a consciousness raising group at the Gay Center, because that's what it was
0: at the time. Mm -hmm.
2: And those men decided they were all professionals
0: Is this Robbie Eichberg, who created National Coming Out Day later? Yes, it was
2: Rob Eichberg, um, Peter Scott.
0: Uh, Great lawyer. Great lawyer.
2: Great lawyer. Um, uh, So many men. And so there were 14 men, and they decided that they wanted to make a difference. They were smart. They believed the only way to do that was to form a political action committee.
0: And that means, in essence, that you're gathering dollars, right? You're delivering dollars and votes to politicians, right? Yes. But they named it MECLA, Municipal Elections Committee Los Angeles. They didn't name it Gay and Lesbian Political Action Committee of Los Angeles. Why did they name it MECLA?
2: Because no one would have written checks if it had the word gay in it. Hmm. And so they picked a name which could have been any type of an organization so if your accountant was doing your taxes and they looked at this as a donation
0: they'd say Mekla
2: they would say Mekla right ask what was
0: it? And then this got duplicated in Orange County, it became ECHO, Elections Committee, County of Orange. In San Diego, it became USDEC, United San Diegans Election Committee. In the Bay Area, it became BAMEC, Bay Municipal Elections Committee. So all of these acronyms that said nothing about LGBT, but it was in fact where LGBT people who are now newly decriminalized started to put their dollars to make change.
2: Exactly. Yeah. However, the first dollars we gave when the people who were running for office realized it, they would have to report it. <laughs> it
0: was gay money. Yeah. It was gay money. Yeah.
2: They returned it.
0: <laughs> wow. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty bad.
2: They would not accept it.
0: Now, this is the 70s. So, the 70s, Tom Bradley is mayor of Los Tom Angeles? Tom Bradley was mayor. And uh, did Mecla meet with Tom Bradley? Uh,
2: uh, yes. And eventually, Tom Bradley did events for Mechla helping us to raise money. Hmm. But at the beginning, it was tough. Yeah, It was really, really hard.
0: Yeah, another one that was there at the beginning was Zev Yaroslavsky, right? Zev representing the West Side, the Jewish community, very liberal LA council member. Was he one of the first people, Mechla?
2: He was. He was one of the first people that uh, that actually supported Mechla. Ira Reiner, who most people don't know who he is, but he was but the district attorney. He was the district attorney at that time, yeah. and his wife, Diane Wayne, they yeah. were incredibly supportive and mecla became really the first organization to ever have a black tie dinner wow to raise money for lgbt rights
0: wow and you put on a dress and heels not, i did not the, actually not the i jeans did and shirt i did you're, you're gray. right i did <laughs> okay all those guys lost them all right
2: <sighs> really hard for me even today all these years later to talk about it but um, You know, I like to think about it um, as the best of times. The growth was amazing. I think it gave people who had been in the closet the ability to see that there were others out there. And for young people to, to really understand that we could be who we were. And who we are.
0: And this is before AIDS. This is before the center was, I I remember the center back then. This was like a one room on Highland. Like two phones, I think. It had two phones. Maybe it was even before it was on Highland. Before it was on Highland, it was an Olympic. Wow. So there's no real LGBT center. There's no AIDS project Los Angeles. There's the Bunch of lesbian coffee clutches happening in women's homes and gay boys in the bathhouses. That
2: about sums it up.
0: <laughs> and that's where we got our start. Wow. It was. And you were uh, one of the first women board members of MECLA, right?
2: Yes. So the second year MECLA was in existence. They elected three women to the board. Wow. And I was one you, of them.
0: Roberta Bennett, Carol Ellis? No, no.
2: me. Um, oh. Oh, a woman, a non-gay woman who was a deputy to one of the city council people. No, 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 no. I can't remember her name now. Um, And uh, another lesbian who was from LA now.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Those are your early roots, LGBT people who are listening. This is the early days of our LGBT community here in Los Angeles. We're coming up for a break. Uh, come When we come back, more talk with the godmother of LGBT Los Angeles, the incredible Diane Abbott here at Sidebar with John Duran on OutNow 97.1, HD2, and Radio.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. Welcome back to Sidebar with John Duran on OutNow Radio 97.1 HD2 and Radio.com. We're here on my very first inaugural show of Sidebar with my very first guest, the godmother of LGBT community in Los Angeles, the incredible attorney mother, activist, Diane Abbott. Welcome back, Diane.
2: Hi, good to be back.
0: <laughs> okay, we were all gossiping sidebar when you we were uh, listening to that song, so we've caught up on our gossip, and now we'll go back to the early days of activism. Where we left off was um, a lot of those guys that got Mecca started aren't here anymore, so... What happened is in the early 80s, HIV, actually, the very first cases identified by Dr. Michael Gottlieb here in Los Angeles. I I told our crew here that my purpose on this show is to give Los Angeles its proper place in the history of the LGBT movement. We get short, really short uh, shrift on this. Absolutely. Always New York and San Francisco as if L.A. did nothing. But the very first HIV cases in the world put together by Dr. Michael Gottlieb here in Los Angeles. And uh, you became the very first founding co-chair of AIDS Project Los Angeles. Now, if AIDS was God's wrath on gay men, which is what the religious right would say, lesbians were the chosen people.
2: I used to say that all the time. (laughs) I
0: I knew I heard it from somebody smart, that was you. Why would a lesbian get involved in HIV and AIDS in the early 80s?
2: Well, I think, for me, it was very simple. Um, And I know a lot of lesbians really got involved. Because, although in many ways at the beginning, we were two separate communities, and I think that there is still a comfortability with your, quote, own community, many women like me had come to have really strong relationships with gay men. Serving on the MECLA board, I was in law school when I went on the MECLA board, and the men there were so supportive of me. I learned so much from them about negotiation, how to win your point. When I was studying for the bar, Peter Scott and David Mixner put together a list for weekends of who would come and stay with my children and whose apartment or house I could go to to study for the bar. Wow. I had so much support. I was a to International Women's Year. And being in law school, I didn't have much money. And the men got together and actually pulled together the money to send us to IWY. Yeah. There was so such support and I learned so much. And when AIDS hit, it was a gradual disease. At the beginning, Men who were affluent, who came to Mecca, and who I met through Mecca, believed that this disease was something that impacted prostitutes and drug users. They didn't think that they would get it, because they didn't understand, none of us did, how it was transmitted. And so, it was hard to raise money at the beginning. But... AIDS is a sexually transmitted disease and ultimately people of quote affluence unquote started to get it.
0: Yeah. It became a scarlet letter, right? I mean for some men, not here hey mom, not only do I have AIDS, but I'm gay. That had to come out on both issues at the same time.
2: And and unfortunately the the I have AIDS came first. And it was a scarlet letter. And the I'm gay was just a part of it. People lost their families; they lost everything, their whole life. And because the reason was like the Scarlet Letter is that, of course, you could see AIDS affected so many people with the Kaposi sarcoma. Yes, the Kaposi KS. sarcoma lesions. KS, that you could see them, and people would know by looking at them so why did i become the first co-chair i just i i thought i really believed this was going to be a terrible epidemic and i knew my friends were going to be impacted by it and i wanted to do everything i could to stop this disease.
0: Part of that you think comes from your Jewish culture of Jew, uh, being involved, in, or from being a mother. Or Jewish mother, you are the New York <laughs> Jewish mother I've read about.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, um, I am not a very good Jew as we describe it you know i'm a cultural jew
0: you are i am great brisket i had some last week with you
2: yeah <laughs> so very cultural
0: yeah
2: i don't know i think that i think that for me i have a great need to 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 just make a difference in this world that's that is very important and And I talk to so many people, and many of them don't believe that what they can do matters. You know, it's like, why should I vote, for example? Because after all, it won't make any difference. But if everybody who said that thought about where we are, one man, should be one man, one woman, one man, one woman votes. That one vote, if everybody just voted, It would make a difference. It doesn't matter whether you have the time or the inclination to get active in an organization, although I highly encourage it. It just changes your life for the better. Everybody can vote, and everybody can vote absentee.
0: And elections are coming up in five weeks. November 6th. Yep, they're coming up.
2: Yep. And so, I, long answer. So sorry.
0: But what? No, no, it's a good answer. Let me ask you. So, the Republicans currently control the House and the Senate. What what difference would it make if the Democrats suddenly took one or both houses of the Congress?
2: Oh my goodness. Well, if we don't.
0: Um, oh my God! What country are we living in?
2: Well, fascism is in the ri- is on the rise throughout the world now. That's true. Okay. If we look at what's happening today, we can look at the Philippines, Venezuela. Um, even in Europe, what we see is uh, in, um, with England, we have a conservative movement there that is actually threatening the prime minister there. And so my concern is that if we don't change Congress this time out, if we don't affect these midterm elections, what's going to happen is that in this country, which for the first time ever we have an administration that condones misogyny, xenophobia, homophobia, racism, gender bias, all of those things. And Congress has sort of the Republican Party, you know, they are a party that steps in line. They get in line and they vote the party like line. Elephants.
0: Like elephants, like elephants. Like elephants. Like elephants, yes. and where are the donkeys?
2: Come but on. elephants are smart. <laughs> Got
0: it. And they never forget.
2: And they never forget.
0: <laughs> and if they have big ears, they can fly. Okay, I digress. You got it. I digressed. No, it's okay. <laughs> okay. So if that happens, if people get out and vote November the 6th, suddenly Speaker of the House could be Nancy Pelosi. Could or, be. Again. Right. And Maxine Waters becomes chairwoman of the Banking and Finance Committee. Yes, And our own Adam Schiff of West Hollywood, California, becomes the chair of the House Intelligence Committee. And all three of them have the power of subpoena. If they can put subpoenas on Trump, on the Trump family, on the Trump organization, or as I call it, the Trump criminal enterprise, and – completely get us back on track
2: yes however i think they have to find something about mike pitts
0: also <laughs> i know it's like yay trump's gone Ugh, oh Pence, right Trump you know yeah. you know that old saying be careful what uh, you wish for yeah we're out of the fire frying pan into the fire something.
2: right exactly
0: yeah but where we are now is really awful because i mean you and i've been around long enough i mean i my first memory of politics was jimmy carter you know here he was this born-again christian evangelical in 1976, and he was beat by Ronald Reagan, and the whole world flipped. And unfortunately, AIDS hit at the same time Ronald Reagan hit.
2: Yes. A man who never, almost never ag- acknowledged his existence. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It's
0: very sad. Until 87. Very sad. I, I know. I remember. So right. I guess the point is, young people, your four mothers and forefathers paid in blood, sweat, and tears right. to get us here, go Vote. That's it. Go. Just go.
2: Vote. Oh, just go to the register of voting.
0: Vote yep. register or online. You can register. That's online. what I'm saying. You don't even have to, you go, even have to go. go. You online, can just
2: go online. Register to
0: vote and get out there, or you can vote absentee, like you said.
2: Right. I vote absentee in every election.
0: I I do, too, because I'm absent-minded, and I don't (laughs) want to forget. I do not want to forget. But it's really important, especially here in Southern California. We know that down in the County of Orange, not here, up in Los Angeles, but there's the opportunity to flip three or four seats. Yes. Of some really horrible people, like Dana Rohrabacher, Huntington Beach, is a real... Horrible person. One of the most homophobic yeah. Congress people ever. Yeah, yeah. And I don't care if he smokes weed. He's still a homophobe. That's and true. So it's not good. And we have a chance to get rid of him and a few others and change the course of our country. Yeah.
2: Yes, this is gonna be a big ballot. Yeah. Just so we know. Yeah. And so if you don't know the answer, if you don't know who to elect as a judge, don't worry about it. Skip that one. Skip that one.
0: <laughs> or they can go on the websites of Equality California, Stonewall Democratic Club, any of our political organizations. They often have recommendations, right?
2: They do, yeah. but uh, not so much for judges. Yeah. However, the important thing, vote for your congressperson. Yeah. That is the most important thing. Also yeah. going to be a lot of initiatives on this ballot. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right? They're coming up. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So some people don't have the time to read all those initiatives. Yeah. We just want you to vote, and you just mail your ballot back in. You
0: hear that, Mm -hmm. gang? From the godmother of LGBT Los Angeles, (laughs) go register and vote. All right. It's almost time for our next break. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran on OutNow Radio, 97.1 HD2 and Radio.com. And when we come back, I'm going to see if Diane will stay for just a little bit more because there's one more topic I want to talk to her about. Isn't she fascinating? I think so. All right. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Welcome back to Sidebar with John Duran on OutNow, 97.1 HD2 and Radio.com. We're here on my very first show with my very first guest, the incredible Diane Abbott, attorney, founder of numerous organizations, uh, APLA, first co-chair, helping get the HRC started, the Victory Fund started, MECLA, the first LGBT pack, and just all around great great person my friend diane diane right before we took the break we were talking about uh, hiv and aids and i want to talk a little bit now about the city of west hollywood's attempt to get to zero aids cases now for you and me i don't know about you, i i lost 104 friends from 1985 to 1995 104 how do i know it's 104 i have a list with every name 104 friends how many did you lose
2: I lost over a hundred friends.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So for you and I losing over a hundred friends, and now I'm looking here at at our very young crew, and I'm guessing they probably know nobody that's, died from AIDS. Yep, yeah, they no, nope, they're saying nope, nobody. See, and that's the difference with, you know, a little passage of time. Uh, but the reason they don't know anybody, the reason they don't know Kaposi's sarcoma or pneumocystis carini pneumonia or all the toxoplasmosis and all the other horrible diseases you and I can quote as if we're doctors is they've never seen it and that's because of the drugs, right? The medications that came along and you were very involved with the orphan drug bill, Yes. Uh, then Attorney General John Vandy Camp, we set up a mini FDA in the state of Cal- Food and Drug Administration here in California to approve drugs because Washington wouldn't. Right?
2: We How act- did that work? Okay, so we actually had a mini FDA here in California, um, and so between Meckler and Engel, there was a group of people who had started MECLA called the Book Club, and we called it that so that no one would think we were trying to take away Mechler's power. Right. We met with all sorts of electives, people running for office, people who were in Congress, um, and we met with John Van de Kemp.
0: Mm-hmm. And he became our Attorney General, State of California.
2: Absolutely. Right. He was Attorney General at that time, and he said, what can we do? What can we do? Jonas Salk was working in California, and he thought that he had a treatment and potentially a cure for AIDS. But he could not get any traction with the FDA out of D.C. So John Vandekamp said, I will have my staff work with you. And David Mixner and I worked with his staff to craft a bill. John Vandekamp, almost at the end of the legislative session, brought us up and had us meet with governor at the time. He... Said he could support the bill. We then went to the legislature. Wait, was that
0: Governor George Duke Majin, Republican governor at the no, time? Or it was it Pete was Wilson. Pete Wilson. Governor, governor Wilson. Pete Wilson. Also Wilson. Republican, but, but San Diego. Yep, but absolutely. a moderate Republican. moderate
2: Republican. And so um, Vandy Camp walked the floors with us of the legislature and he said to people serving, I don't need any credit for this. Anyone who wants to go co-author this bill you can take all the credit and the last day of the session it passed It's
0: awesome and out of that we got the approval process for new medications and and now here we are it's 2018 we have incredible very powerful antiretrovirals we have very powerful uh, protease and integrase and entry inhibitors these are all Again, words I shouldn't know, but because all the work on HIV. And we have these cocktails that are available that are, are actually not curing AIDS, but we're seeing a different dynamic than you and I saw. And so part of the strategy for the city of West Hollywood is those individuals that are HIV positive have to get to undetectable levels. Why? Because if you're HIV positive and you get down to an undetectable level, that means you're not going to contract any of these opportunistic infections. You're not going to get pneumonia or KS or toxoplasmosis or CMV retinitis or a terrible, awful, disfiguring disease like we saw our friends go through. So getting down to undetectable protects you, but it also prevents you from spreading HIV to the next person. And for HIV-negative sexually active people, getting on PrEP – which is uh, prophylactic, Uh, Truvada is one of the names of the drugs, can actually prevent you from acquiring HIV if you keep levels of Truvada in your system. So we're actually treating both the positives and the negatives. And what are we seeing for the first time? The number of new infections uh, and AIDS cases in West Hollywood are dipping and dipping and dipping lower and lower to the point where we're almost, not quite yet, zero AIDS deaths in the city of West Hollywood. Now the reason that's significant from 1984 to 1994 the city of West Hollywood lost 10,000 10,000 people in zip codes 90069 90046 90048 which West Hollywood shares with LA 10,000 people those were our people right and they're all gone and and now to suddenly get to the point where instead of 10,000 we're almost down to zero it's incredible
2: it is incredible.
0: Incredible. Now, what's up? Chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea,
2: yeah. Other. <laughs> herpes are all up, right. Other venereal diseases,
0: yeah. So as diseases. you, an eyewitness to somebody, a lesbian, who watched her brothers die, over 100, to suddenly find yourself in this world where HIV has become manageable, did you ever think you'd see this?
2: No, um, we lost a whole generation, basically. I didn't think that we would see this. I, I hoped that we would see it. Um, I need you to help some young men understand how PrEP works. I actually have a very good friend whose son is 16 years old. He's gay. And these young people haven't even heard of it. So... There's a concern about taking drugs and how it impacts you. And if there are side effects, perhaps you could talk about that.
0: No side effects. No side effects to PrEP that we've been able to measure so far. You know, we watch our people's labs to make sure that their blood levels don't get out of whack in terms of kidney and liver and and other bodily, the endocrine system of the body. But in essence, uh, it's like a birth control pill. It's a pill you take. Every day? Every day. Take a pill a day no side effects, but if HIV somehow gets into your system through sexual activity, um, then you're going to prevent the spread of HIV. I have to look at my dirty word list to make sure I don't break any laws (laughs) under the FCC, because uh, one of the things that I think is important is for people to realize that in the history of the epidemic, there has been zero documented cases of transmission through oral sex. Now, there was a time when people thought, oral sex was a way to spread HIV. It is a way to spread syphilis, chlamydia, gonorrhea, herpes. It is not a way to spread HIV. And that was a myth around HIV and AIDS. And the only possible oral contact, remember that patient in Florida, Kimberly Bergalis? Was that her wow, name? What a memory. Well, I know. I know. I, it's amazing the insignificant trivia I remember and, of course, forget to brush my teeth in the morning. But I, Kimberly Bergalis was a patient that People thought she got it from a dental instrument and that HIV managed to live on a scalpel. But what we know, HIV is very fragile outside of the human body. It doesn't last for very long. And so we don't have any documented cases of oral. But unprotected vaginal or anal sex, that will uh, possibly spread HIV. But not if you're on Truvada as the negative and not if you're undetectable as the positive. So, boys, Take care of one another, exactly. right? Exactly. Go get tested. That's the first thing. Find yep. out if you're positive. Because if you don't know your HIV status and your viral level is over a million, not only are you harming yourself, but you're risking spreading it to your partner. So get tested. Find out your status. If you're positive, don't worry about it. It's not going to kill you these days. Get on your meds, get yourself down to suppressed levels, undetectable levels so you don't spread it to anybody else. And if you're negative and want to stay that way, get on Truvada. The Gay and Lesbian Center provides it for free in the city of West Hollywood above the gym bar on Santa Monica Boulevard. It's amazing that we live in these days, huh?
2: I think it's pretty fantastic. If someone had told me that we could have zero conversion for AIDS and that we could get married. Right. I would have said, have said no, no to uh,
0: both. No to both, <laughs> not, <laughs> not in to, my lifetime. And they both happened. And they in both happened. And you know, I think we'd be remiss. You know, we're kind of talking about the, the white collar activists like you and me, the the people, yeah. you, but, you know, that were attorneys and doctors and the work that we did, but we cannot forget the. Street activists, the act up, the queer nation, the people who were putting their bodies down on the street, shutting down government buildings. Because without those angry, radical activists, the institutions never would have talked to people like you and me.
2: I absolutely agree with you.
0: Yeah.
2: Good cop, bad cop, right? We used to do that all the time in talking to electeds. We would do the good cop, bad cop.
0: Right, right. And it so, made a difference. And
2: it made
0: a huge difference. Huge difference. And yes. sadly, a lot of the people who founded ACT UP Los Angeles, Mark Kostopoulos Connie Norman, they were also lost in the, the epidemic. When you think about it, 500,000 uh, Americans died of HIV and AIDS in, just in America. That's a half a million people. Uh, and, of course, here in Los Angeles, we got hit pretty hard. Back then, the bathhouse debate. Yes. <laughs> you were the lawyer for the bathhouses. We yes. Got, we got two minutes. So you got to tell your bathhouse Betty story okay. in two minutes or less.
2: <laughs> really? Okay. Here we go. So there was a MECLA voted to close the bathhouses. Wow. They did. Yes. And so um, one of the bathhouses came to me and said, you know, most of our, most of our population is not openly gay. Most of our population is Latino. And we think that we serve, we actually provide a service. So I looked at the lawsuit because they had been sued to close the bathhouse, realized that there were ways that they could really make a difference through education, through condoms, through, through getting people's information. And we went to Ira Reiner sat with him and his chief deputy, and we came up with a mechanism for educating workers in bathhouses. Every six months. Every new person needed to go through the training, and then every six months, there was additional training.
0: Oh, to have been a fly on the wall during those trainings. I'm I sure. have to tell you,
2: I, I had to go in the bathhouse. You know, bathhouses function 24-7.
0: Yeah. Uh, no. I did not know that, I didn't Diane. think you knew that,
2: John. And, and
0: so... And who so, was the real bathhouse Betty Diane Abbott or John Duran you were you
2: the real yeah. bathhouse Betty I was like they had to do it they had to close it for an hour so I could go in
0: alright we are winding out thank you Diane for putting us in the bathhouse to end this segment of our show here on Sidebar with John Duran on Out Now 97.1 HD 2 and Radio.com thank you Diane Abbott for being with us today we'll see you all after the break Welcome back to Sidebar with John Duran on Out Now, 97.1 HD2 and Radio.com. I want to welcome you to our very first show, very first segment. And, uh, wow, we just spent an incredible uh, few segments with the incredible Diane Abbott as my very first guest. And she is an uh, amazing and you know, I, I asked her if she'd come back. She said, anytime. So we look forward to, she wants us to talk about breast cancer and I'm all completely down for that. Uh, something that affects our lesbian and bisexual women community in disproportionate numbers compared to their straight allies. So we are going to talk about that on a future show. Look forward to doing that with Diane. But I guess what I want to say to the gay men who are listening, don't ever forget how deeply indebted we are to the lesbians in our community because at a time when things appeared so dark and so dire, it was the lesbians who stepped up and took charge and headed up all these organizations, institutions, and, and uh, became incredible leaders in the fight against HIV and AIDS. And we are forever indebted to the lesbians, and not only here in Los Angeles, but I think all over the country. So thank you, lesbian sisters for who you are and what you led us through. We want to talk just a bit now about some of the early days, because, you know, being with my friend Diane, Diane and I have known each other since the early 80s, I can't even do the math, I guess it's over 30, 35 years, we've been friends, I was her law clerk and she was my mentor and learned so much about law and politics under her guiding hand. And I just want to tell you about the very early days. So back in 1986, here in the state of California, there was an initiative on the ballot called the LaRouche Initiative. It was an initiative, Proposition 64, to quarantine HIV-positive people or those suspected of carrying HIV, i.e. gay men, uh, into concentration camps. And I know you're going to say, no, come on. That didn't happen. Yeah, it did. Proposition 64. It was in the early days of the epidemic, and the right came up with a solution to just isolate and quarantine not only HIV-positive people, but uh, those that they thought would possibly contract HIV. And it was a serious government proposal here in the state of California, early... uh, Polling showed the initiative passing two-to-one, and uh, thanks to the efforts of MECLA and APLA and the Life Aids Lobby and a lot of women and men uh, who are not here any longer, uh, we beat that initiative. But seeing Diane today reminded me of the very first time that I walked into an organizing meeting. It was in 86. It was in Plummer Park, and you have to – I mean, you heard the last segment, so – Let's face it, my activism in the 70s and early 80s was limited to dancing on the bass speaker at the Boom Boom Room in Laguna Beach with my shirt off and a tambourine in my left hand. And that was all... I did for the gay world. I was a club kid, I was a bar fly, I was all about the party, Studio One, the Boom Boom Room, the DOK West, those are my hangouts, and not particularly active. Yes, as Diane told you, I was the bathhouse, Betty, and not really active in LGBT world. So here's this awful initiative, and um, for the first time, I am going to go meet lesbians right because i like diane said we had separate roles i had my gay male friends my occasional straight girlfriend who'd come with me to the gay clubs uh, but i really didn't know any lesbians and a lot of lesbians really didn't know gay men there were crossovers there were exceptions but over a large part of the community lesbian women were very involved and now the national organization for women in fighting for the equal rights amendment gay men Not everyone, but most of us were in the clubs and the bathhouses, not really concerned about HIV or anything back in those days. And suddenly we have this existential threat to our people and we're having to organize for the first time. And so I walk into Plumber Park with a group of guys and we start setting up the chairs for the meeting. Row of chairs, row of chairs, row of chairs, one in front of the other. And in walk these three lesbians. And they looked at me and they said, what are you doing? I said, we're setting up the chairs for the meeting. And this one woman said, that's not how you set up chairs. I said, what? What do you mean it's not how you set up chairs? Row, 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 head table, three chairs behind the table, we're good to go. She goes, no, 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 no. We set up chairs in a circle. And I said, what? We set up chairs in a circle in the room. Why would you do that? Well, because in a circle, every voice gets to participate. Every voice is heard from. No voice stands out above the other. And we will go around the circle until everybody has an opportunity to speak and be heard. And my gay male friends and I were like, you've got to be kidding me. We'll be here all frickin' night. Come on, man, we want to get down to the motherlode. What do you mean we're going to sit in a circle? And the women were very insistent. We, were gonna, we fought for 45 minutes about how to set up the chairs. All right, flash forward, the lesbians won, we sat in a circle, the very first meeting at Plumber Park organizing for this initiative, and uh, we did exactly what they said, and at the end of the meeting, we came out with a structure that not only didn't have a president, well, I was used to having a president, we had co-chairs, male and female, gender parity, and what I realized many years later we were not debating chairs we were debating gender before we even knew that there was a difference or a concept of gender because as gay men as little boys we are taught to think in a very linear way a to Z row column president structure pyramid Military, everybody, get in line, rank, file, sergeant, captain, lieutenant, commander. That is how we were taught to think. And women and little girls are taught very differently. They're taught, I'll, I'll use an an sewing circle I hate to even bring that up because I don't think they exist anymore but women are taught to share and they're taught that everybody's treated equally and everybody gets a chance and everybody has a shot and everybody gets included and nobody feels excluded and for little boys and gay men this was a very foreign thought like what are they talking about? and and of course women and, and and young girls, you know this whole idea of you know setting up rows and raising hands was very foreign to them. We were debating gender and the cultural clash of the two extremes of gender lesbian women who had no use for men gay men who had no use for women and were in our early days in the early formation of an lgbt community at a time when the center was just called the gay center there was no l there was no b there was no t and we were trying to figure out where we fit and how we were going to work together and thank god For the wisdom of the women who said, we are going to sit in a circle, we are going to form co-chairs, there will be gender parity, power will be shared, and this is how we're going to create community. And they were right on. Now, later, some of the women would tell me what they learned from gay men was about money and the relationship to money. Because something that men are taught that's different is about how to use money and use it for power and how to take it and leverage it for the common good. It was not something that came naturally to uh, at least the women who were there and some of the early women who were suddenly learning, how do you fundraise? How do you ask for money? You ask for money? Oh my God, that's horrible. I'd rather put a needle in my eye than ask somebody for money. But money is the mother's milk of politics. You've gotta have money in order to access or exercise power. And so we had something as men to teach women. And these are the early days. Now, are there exceptions to this? Of course. There were women who were perfectly comfortable with money and power, and there were gay men who were about inclusion and diversity even back then. But for the most part, the two cultures of the separatist parts of our movement were coming together around a response and addressing an epidemic that seemed to threaten all of our existence as a fledgling community why because just six years earlier we had been decriminalized we had just come out of the closet we were just celebrating our sexual liberation women were finding their place in now and in the Equal Rights Amendment fight gay men were finding themselves in the bars and in the bathhouses as epidemic hit and we had to forge an immediate alliance between gay men and lesbian women the B and the T would come later But there you have it, kids. Those are the early days of L&G right here in Los Angeles. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran on OutNow, 97.1 HD2 and Radio.com. We'll see you after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran on OutNow, 97.1 HD2 and Radio.com. We're having a rock and rolling day. You know, it's amazing. Once I start yabbering, I... 10 minutes seems to just fly by. So if you're listening, thank you for listening to my yabbering. Uh, It's been a great morning so far. I mean, it's been great to have Diane Abbott here and to reminisce about the early days of LGBT life. And uh, I I just, I don't know. I think in order to figure out where we're going from here, we got to figure out where we came from. And uh, one of, I think the most pressing issues is this nomination of judge Kavanaugh. And why? Because Anthony Kennedy Who is the justice who is retiring, a Californian from Sacramento, put on the court uh, by Ronald Reagan, turned out to be our biggest champion over the years, Uh, the critical swing vote in striking down all the sodomy laws across the United States of America, the critical swing vote in holding up the Colorado Human Rights Initiative, which uh, began to consider the prospect of equal protection under the laws for LGBT people, and the critical swing vote, of course, on marriage equality. And he's going, he's gone. In fact, not even going, he is gone. And uh, we've got a four-four split, for liberals and four conservatives people say oh give give the chief justice roberts time he, he'll come around well yeah he didn't come around on the wedding cake uh, decision and he didn't come around on marriage equality so i'm not sure he's ever going to come around i don't care how cute everybody thinks he is he's not going to be a great vote for us so filling this vacant seat on the u.s supreme court is critical because it will dictate how far we can go in the upcoming 30 years And I'm sorry, but Kavanaugh is not the guy pre-approved by the Federalist Society, a right-wing organization that screens judges. He is seen as a threat to Roe versus Wade, the seminal abortion rights case. And why as uh, gay men, why as LGBT people should we care about abortion rights? Because the right to privacy that was established in Roe versus Wade is in fact the cornerstone of all of our legal and political work. And a threat to Roe versus Wade is a threat to LGBT people. So we share a common alliance with women all across this nation. We should link arms to do everything we can to defeat Judge Kavanaugh's nomination next week. And if we can do that... Then the question is, what happens in the next four weeks before the November elections? Does the Trump administration try to jam down another pre-approved Federalist Society nominee through the U.S. Senate while they still control the U.S. Senate? Will they actually try to jam it down the country, uh, the throats of the country without giving that nominee a fair and equal hearing? And and it's so crazy to me that McConnell from Kentucky, who is the Senate majority leader, would not seat Merrick Garland because he said we were too close to an election when President Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland, which would have given us a critical fifth vote in favor of our rights because we were a year away from the general election. In his words, all the American people have the right to weigh in on the Supreme Court. That's what he said when we were a year away away from the election. Now we are a month away from the election and if Kavanaugh goes down, w- the hypocrisy of the GOP reign once again where they will instead of giving us the American people the ability to weigh in on the future of the Supreme Court of the United States, will they just jam down the next nominee and know that they've got the power they can do it? Or will they actually let us have the right to weigh in in the November elections, possibly tilt the U.S. Senate to the center and left, and force the president to put forth a nominee that will protect the right to privacy, protect the right of a woman's right to choose, and, of course, protect the LGBT community? We we will see. The stakes are high, kids. The stakes are very, very high. All right. So I think I told you early on in the show that— I'm an attorney. I uh, told you I worked on the Jungle Cruise ride at Disneyland. That's how I got through college and summer law school. And then I became Diane Abbott's law clerk and my world shifted and changed. And I was going to be a corporate attorney. That was my plan, to be a corporate attorney and HIV and AIDS it. My whole world got rocked. The whole world changed. I became an HIV and AIDS attorney in the 1980s. I left Diane's firm, started my own firm to do HIV and AIDS work. And um, one of my very first clients were the protesters of ACT UP and the Orange County Visibility League and Queer Nation. These were all radical groups of women and men that would block the streets, block government buildings, demanding a cure for HIV and AIDS, and also demanding that the homophobia, the rampant homophobia stop, especially among elected leaders. And one of the great stories of that day, There was a crazy congressman, he's still alive today, named Bill Dannemeyer. He was one of the sponsors of the LaRouche Initiative I just talked about in the last hour, to quarantine HIV-positive people. He considered homosexuals to be worthy of death and a crazy right-wing Republican from Fullerton. And he was running around Southern California and the halls of Congress telling people that homosexuals emitted spores Spores. Yes, you and me, that we emitted spores, S-P-O-R-E-S, spores, and that in those spores that we could transmit the HIV virus through the air and infect the general population. This is not a lunatic. Well, actually, it is a lunatic who also happened to be a member of the House of Representatives of the United States Congress running around. Telling people that homosexuals emitted spores that would carry HIV. So he was giving one of these speeches and ACT UP in the Orange County Visibility League showed up to protest and demonstrate and to shut that noxious, toxic speech down. And uh, the uh, police showed up, the Fullerton police, and they arrested everybody and uh, charged them all with criminal conspiracy and unlawful assembly uh, for showing up and protesting. And this case went to court, and I was the attorney for all of them. (laughs) It was crazy days. crazy days in the early days of the epidemic. And uh, we decided to do a trial by judge because we thought a jury in Orange County would have been a frightening prospect. We did a trial by judge. And a very conservative Republican judge Who sat and listened and, you know, of course, Bill Dannemeyer, the congressman, wasn't there. But the crazy Reverend Lou Sheldon of the Traditional Values Coalition who had sponsored the symposium, he was there. He was a loon. He's still around. Uh, And there they were giving all their testimony. And the judge heard the case and it went on for a full five days. And at the end of the five days, the case was submitted to the judge. And he looked at me, and he looked at the Orange County District Attorney, and he looked at the dozen people who were arrested sitting there behind council table, and peered down from his glasses, and he said, in the United States of America, every individual has the right to call his or her congressman an idiot. Bam! Case dismissed. It was an awesome day, awesome day for the First Amendment, an awesome day for freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, the right to criticize noxious and toxic speech. And why do I bring this up? Because out of the right to privacy, which is where we got our start, meaning what we do in our bedrooms is nobody's business, that's where we started, Roe versus Wade, the right to privacy, consensual adult activity, that was not gonna carry us forward from that point forward. We had to then move on into the right to express ourselves As people, as fully-fledged human beings, meaning we just weren't our genitalia, we were bigger and broader than that in our relationships, in our families, in the way in which we displayed affection, the way in which we expressed ourselves, the way we dressed, that everything about our culture was worthy of protection by the United States. And the whole concept of not only sexual orientation, but gender identity began to flourish, which would lead us, of course, to add the B and the T later to the LGBT, and it all came out of the craziness around the AIDS epidemic. So, what's my point? My point is, when you're celebrating your incredible outfit today at the Abbey tonight, or you're celebrating all the body piercings or tats that you're expressing yourself with, or you're celebrating the cutting of cakes at a same gender wedding somewhere in this great nation. Just remember that all of that is possible because of the sacrifices that were made during the HIV and AIDS epidemic without the sacrifices of those activists from ACT UP, Orange County Visibility League, Queer Nation, without them putting themselves out on the street and getting arrested and prosecuted and brought into courts and fighting for the right to be, there would be no wedding bells today. Remember that we are so grateful to all of those women and men. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran on OutNow 97.1 HD2 and Radio.com. We'll take a break. Welcome back to Sidebar with John Duran on OutNow 97.1 HD2 and Radio.com. We are in the final minutes of the very first show and it's Friday night and I told you early on that I've been clean and sober for over 20 years but that doesn't mean I was always clean and sober. I told you I was a club kid in the 70s and 80s so If you had it, you were sharing it with me. And so I am going to finish out the show with just a little bit of talk about cannabis culture. Because cannabis has been part of the city of West Hollywood and the Sunset Strip for over 100 years. Back in the days of Mickey Cohen and Bugsy Siegel, uh, when West Hollywood was first identified as a community, even before it became officially incorporated as a city, it was all about reefer. On the Sunset Strip in West Hollywood, it was part of the culture. And why was it part of the culture of the city of West Hollywood? Because that area was unincorporated county land, meaning that the LAPD, Los Angeles Police Department, was not allowed to come into the territory known as West Hollywood. It was patrolled by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department who were downtown, and by the time their Model Ts got all the way across Los Angeles, well, they just hid everything. That whole scene, you know, where pool tables turn over and liquor gets hidden, that happened for real in the clubs along the Sunset Strip, and part of that was reefer time and it's so funny you know everybody knows i gave the key to the city to stormy daniels and yes we'll talk about stormy daniels on another day and yes i'll invite her to come on the show and we'll see if we can get her here to talk to all of you but i also gave a key to the city to uh cheech marine and tommy chung and that's cheech and chung and uh if there were any two individuals associated with marijuana, it would be Cheech Marine and Tommy Chong. Uh, and my God, those guys are hysterical. I gave them a key to the city also. But Reefer Madness it refers to a movie that came out in the 1930s that was meant to warn children about the dangers of smoking marijuana and it it has been rated as one of the worst movies of all recorded time it really is if you see it as satire today you can watch it and get a good laugh it's absolutely ridiculous but uh of course the film was rediscovered in the 70s during the time of cheech and chong and gain new life as this unintentional you know film you could laugh at called reefer madness but why do i bring this all up and why do i bring it up on today's for a show well Here's what happened. So in the days of the horrible epidemic of HIV and AIDS, we began to see that marijuana had medicinal properties. One, it gave people appetites so they could put weight back on and reduce the wasting that was going on. Two, it helped hold down medications. A lot of people that were taking these early medications for HIV, it made them nauseous. And medicinal marijuana seemed to have the ability to reduce that reaction. So it helped people keep their meds down and put weight on and give them food and who among you does not know that after a reefer you don't immediately want doritos within the next five minutes all right so you know the story and so medicinal marijuana uh, got its start or really got its push through the aids epidemic and that was something that came up early on in the days of act up as we were trying to figure out how to manage a disease marijuana became part of the topic and part of the subject And one of the very first medicinal marijuana collectives in the country was born in the city of West Hollywood, called the Los Angeles Cannabis Resource Center. Now, where are we today? Well, today, 30 of the 50 United States have some form of legalized marijuana, more than half. 30 of the 50. Nine states, including the District of Columbia— have a recreational or adult use marijuana available to them. So we have gone from reefer madness to a place where a majority of the states, including the entire West Coast, thank you for the left coast, California, Oregon, Washington, and Hawaii, it's legal for marijuana to be used and possessed. And we have come a very long way from reefer madness. And you know what? As somebody who consumed at one point, I will tell you, it's not any different from vodka. Come on now, be real. It's no different than alcohol. And the point is, don't drink and drive. Don't toke and drive. Neither is a good idea. Don't get behind the wheel of a car if you're going to drink or a smoke pot. Just don't. Just don't. It's not worth it. If, it. if you do it, you're going to end up my client, and you're not going to like that. I'm going to warn you in advance. So here we are, and, and we've reached the point where marijuana has become very customized and customary around most of the United States, and we've got an Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, as long as he lasts until Trump gets rid of him, Attorney General, who's trying to take us the other way. It's like, what are you doing? No, Jeff, we're going this way. The whole country history, we're going this way. You're going the wrong way, Jeff, again. What is it with people trying to turn back the hands of time? Here's where we are. All of this came out of the early days of ACT UP, and now we've got a cannabis culture that's taking root, and you can see it along Santa Monica Boulevard in most parts all over Southern California and the country med men and all sorts of vaping instruments and, and actual billboards on Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevard advertising marijuana use. And maybe everybody just kind of drives by and doesn't think much of it. My gosh, if you would have seen where we were 20, 25 years ago, this is unbelievable and really what we do have to have a conversation about is whether or not this is the equivalent of alcohol and no more or no less and should be regulated as such and let's finally put a stake through the heart of reefer madness there's enough insanity going on in the world why deny somebody the ability to chill as they choose to chill for me an episode of the golden girls that makes me chill but for others who want to toke a little Colombian gold or have a cocktail at the end of the day. I get it. I can't. I won't. You should. I don't. And, uh, and that's where we are in this day. So how do I know we're making progress? Well, just three months ago, the voters in Oklahoma <laughs> Oklahoma, became the latest state to approve broad access to marijuana. Oklahoma. Think about that for a second. Not Colorado, not New Mexico, not Nevada, Oklahoma. Yeah, I think we're finally at a tipping point on cannabis culture. The only thing that worries me is whether lava lamps and black lights are coming back because that would send me on a trip. And if you don't know what a lava lamp or a black light is or does, ask your older aunts and uncles. They will tell you. Is cannabis culture here to stay? And if so, my goodness, was this another byproduct of the LGBT community movement? Yeah. It was. It was. Thank you, Cheech and Chong, for getting the conversation started. But it is LGBT culture that made this possible. It is the LGBT community that pushed for medicinal marijuana, now supported by 94% of Americans supporting medicinal use of marijuana. It makes sense for glaucoma, for epilepsy, for cancer, for HIV and AIDS. Why deny people their medication? And if we're going to go that far, why not just have an honest conversation about marijuana? and treat it like alcohol instead of the craziness that people are trying to push us into reactionary politics and take us back to a time when all of this was criminalized. So we are seeing the slow and steady decriminalization of marijuana. And uh, thank God. You know, there is a, a U.S. senator, Senator Gardner of Colorado, Republican, by the way, Who told Jeff Sessions, if you keep pushing on this marijuana, you keep trying to shut down adult use of marijuana and medicinal marijuana. I am holding off on approving all nominees to all courts. And uh, that was a threat he made, and he stuck to it. And guess what? Sessions backed down. Because why? Because they're trying to fill the federal judiciary, and they're trying to fill the Supreme Court. It's all tied together. All of it. Isn't it crazy? Makes me want to get high. But I don't. But I don't. But I don't. That's where we are. Just another reminder that LGBT community, thank God you are here. You are revolutionizing and radicalizing and forcing all of America to rethink the concept of gender, to rethink the way in which health care is approved and exists in this country, to rethink equality and freedom, to rethink what it means to be healthy and alive in these United States of America. And all of this is possible because there is and continues to be an LGBT community and LGBT movement. Long may you wave and reign. Don't ever think for a second being a member of the LGBT community makes you lesser than or we are different then, but never lesser than. We're fabulous, and we're changing the culture, and we're changing America, and we're going to continue to do it. And take heart. Whoever is in power in Washington, it doesn't mean that we're going away. You're either going to love us, or we're going to resist you, and we're going to continue to make this world a fairer, more free, more equal place with our lives on the line you have been listening to sidebar with john duran on out now 97.1 hd2 and radio.com i will see you again fridays from 12 to 2 talk to you later gang